Welcome to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast, where we have great conversations with unity-minded Christians. Our goal is to encourage unity of the Spirit within the Stone Campbell Movement and beyond. We believe unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and join us as we seek to fulfill Jesus' prayer that we may all be one. And now, here are your co-hosts, Megan Rollins and Kevin Witham. Well, I want to welcome you back to part two of our Rift and Repair Revisited session. Last week, if you were with us on our podcast, you heard uh, Nick Zola and Douglas Jacoby um, revisiting something that had its origins uh, in the Pepperdine Bible Lectures back in uh, 2019, uh, just discussing this whole relationship uh, between the International Churches of Christ and the Churches of Christ. Uh, they held a Zoom session uh, recently, and we wanted more people to hear what was presented on that Zoom session as they revisit the whole idea of rift and repair. Um, again, I'm Kevin Witham. Uh, Megan Rawlings, my co-host, is not with me. She is in Hawaii as we're putting this podcast together. So blessings on Megan. I hope she's enjoying uh, the beauty of Hawaii. But right here, we're going to enjoy part two of the session by hearing the questions and answers. Then I'll come back with Nick Zola after you've had the opportunity to listen. So listen in, folks. All right, here's what I'd like to do. We're about 35 minutes after the hour, and I want to make sure we have a good uh, amount of time, 20 minutes or so, of questions from the audience. So I'm going to invite Javier Monzon to come join us back in again and um, turn his video back on. I'm going to go ahead and pin him. Let's see. Give me a second here to... Um, Spotlight him. All right. I've now spotlighted Javier. So if you were in speaker view, you should see all three of us here together. Uh, along the way, theoretically, right, some of you have been sending in direct questions uh, by chat to Javier. And so, Javier, if you have a couple questions that you want to begin giving us, then we'd like to address that now from, from the audience. Sure. Thank you, everyone, for sending me your questions. Please keep on sending them. And if we have time, we I will uh, try to get to your question. Um, Oh, and Javier, I just go ahead and introduce yourself too and, and help us know um, what capacity huh. you serve among Common Grounds. Sure. Um, my name is Javier Monzon. I am a professor of biology at Pepperdine University, and I am on the board of directors of Common Grounds. So uh, I'm going to ask sir, several questions that came through the chat. We'll get through as many as we can in the time allotted. Jason and Wendy Andrew asks, if you are in an ICOC fellowship that does not talk about our shared history, embrace the common grounds unity, or even a discussion like this, how would you recommend going about the conversation with other members while not being divisive or causing, in quotes, trouble? 
we want to cause good trouble, right? Good trouble. Um, I'll say a quick word and, I'll, and then I'll let you jump in, Doug. I, one of the ways that, that it seems like it can happen naturally, right, is you don't, you don't have to, without wanting to be divisive or troublesome, right, you can individually contact a local church of Christ or independent Christian church, like look up the information and see if, see if there's somebody there who's just interested, again, in getting coffee, right, and having a, sharing a meal together. And it doesn't have to be formal or official or, you know, or sanctioned by one church or another. It can just be two people building a relationship together. And that, that builds on its own, right? Then you invite a friend, then they invite a friend. Then you invite two friends, and then they invite two friends. And now you begin to form this relationship, which over time can begin to influence each of those congregations in a very natural way. Doug, what would you like to add to that? Well, whatever I add is not as good as what you said. I think that is the best way. It's grassroots, you know, find, realizing those common grounds by, through face-to-face -face interaction. Um, more and more, we're having conferences where we're inviting people from different parts of the restoration movement. The ICSC teachers uh, uh, just this month had a conference on justice, and there were speakers from many different uh, Christian groups, not even the restoration movement. And the more we can help people to take part in these events and realize the benefits, and of course, you can watch, the, watch these things online. I think that's very helpful. One of the special challenges with the ICOC, even though it's not very large, it's only uh, about 115,000 people in 700 congregations, most of the church leaders worldwide don't know any church history. They've not had any theological training and they don't see the need uh, to, to learn about church history. But if they were interested, you could also ask them to watch e e a program like our Rift and Repair Talk, the one we did in Pepperdine in May 2019. But this is a challenge that they, they've been thought that we're, history doesn't matter because we've restarted and now we've restored the primitive faith, exactly the language that was used in the 1800s. And, and I don't know how you get that out of people's minds unless they have a personal connection with someone, or unless they happen to be avid readers, you can say, here, read this book, and they go, wow, <laughs> most people do better with coffee. Um, I'll just very quickly, I want to get back to Javier, but there's this passage that I have been reflecting on. It's at the end of the Gospel of Luke, and it's when these two on the road to Emmaus um, have this appearance from Jesus, and they don't recognize Jesus at first, but it's then when Jesus breaks bread with them that mm -hmm. suddenly his identity becomes known, and, and it's Luke 24 35, they run back, you know, to the other disciples and they told them what happened on the road and how he'd been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And there's something that resonates with me about that line, that it's, it's like we see Jesus when we break bread together. We, the, the Lord, we recognize the presence of the Lord when we break bread. And so for that reason, I, I, I do, I recommend that, that you, have a, you share a meal with someone who is from a different stream. And that's the beginning of something really beautiful there. All right, Javier, let's keep going. Okay. Rosanna and Davis Riordan from Lander, Wyoming ask, how can we repair the rift between the Church of Christ and ICOC when we still have rifts within the ICOC? specifically thinking about the recent news with the Portland Church of the ICOC and the Pacific Northwest region. Doug, I'll let you tackle that one first. I think that that would or make maybe, more sense for you to maybe do. I could just give the first, uh, first part of, of a possible response. Uh, that's a very uh, perceptive question. Uh, of course, the tendency to have rifts, that's in the restoration movement, and it, it always has been. 
what I would say is that uh, in this is the paradigm of the three circles. We have the central teachings. Then the, there's a next circle, which would include the important teachings that are not central, but still important. And the third circle is the peripheral, peripheral matters. You know, Jesus is Lord. That's going to be in the center. Uh, you know, Jesus was Jewish. That's pretty important. If you, if you miss that, you're going to miss a lot, but you could still be saved if you were confused. Jesus was born in 6 BC or whenever it was. That's, that's really very peripheral. We tend to do fine on peripheral and we understand the core. We do horribly with the middle circle. When something is important, like the women's role, um, and one group doesn't agree with another group. We just don't do well. It's not a salvation issue. Neither is it peripheral. And uh, we've just done very badly with that middle circle. I'm not sure, again, what I could add to that, right? Other, other than to say, finding a way to see ourselves on the same team while also being willing to disagree on things that are deeply important is, is one of kind of the, the, the most difficult challenges of, of humanity, right? Is that, is that we can appreciate that we have the same larger goals in mind and yet also disagree on these smaller elements. And again, not to say that smaller elements are, are unimportant. I think, Doug, you're absolutely right. Women's roles in particular is an issue of justice, right? And so it's, it's deeply important. Um, and, and yet being somehow finding the sisterhood or the brotherhood in your fellow believer, while also recognizing that we interpret things differently. That's one of the greatest challenges of being a human being, of, of loving the other as yourself, right? Loving your neighbor as yourself, loving the stranger as yourself. Mm. And, and so I don't know, I don't have a better answer than that, other than that is what it is to be a child of God, right? Is to recognize that the other ch ch children of God are children of God and that they have the same right to being the children of God that you do. And therefore God calls us to love each other in that way, even in the midst of working through these differences. Maybe I could just add one thing. It's commonly taught that 1 Corinthians 1.10 means that we have to agree on everything. We're not unified, which is not really at all right. That's not the context. It's about not dividing uh, into different groups. It's not on thinking exactly the same thing. Uh, uh, recently, a brother uh, said that, and a brother with whom I had a disagreement on some biblical interpretation, he said that he was hoping uh, the day would come when we'd be unified. Um, and I said, no, wait a minute. Unity is connection in the midst of disagreement. Unity is not respecting each other only if you believe exactly the same things. That's either uniformity or else it's irrelevance. But unity almost requires disagreement. Uh, but that misunderstanding of, of what unity is, is still quite common in the ICOC. Well, and this may be worth saying, I know we keep building on each other's <laughs> answers here without getting to the next question, but, but what you've just um, raised reminds me about something that, that may be especially worth bringing up, given this kind of bent towards what's called primitivity, right? Restoring the first century church and, and the kind of the way that that falls apart when when you read, for instance, the New Testament with any kind of careful, you know, analysis, you discover there isn't just one church here, right? That if you imagine what did the first century church look like in, say, 
um, Corinth compared to what it looked like in Jerusalem, compared to what it looked like in the city of Alexandria to Rome to Damascus to all of these places had deeply different flavors, you might say, of Christianity. One would be more Jewish, one would be more Gentile, right? One would promote the roles of women, one wouldn't, right? And, and so this is, this is a diversity that is uh, encapsulated within the New Testament already, that the New Testament has canonized diversity, you might say, right? Even in the fact that we have four gospels instead of one gospel is meant that early Christians were okay with the idea of multiple perspectives on the same idea and that all of that could fit within a, a core of Christianity. And if, if our earliest believers already kind of recognized that and encapsulated that within our, within our text, then how much more are we called to do the same because we have that basis, that foundation right there? All right, Javier, we should, we should move to the next question. Okay, uh, the next question is, is a bit theological and it's about baptism, but maybe we can discuss it briefly in the context of uh, this, this conversation of unity. It's about how early is it to, uh, how early is too early to be baptized? Um, and it, I think the context that this question fits in this conversation is, is that some um, times, some congregations, especially in the churches of Christ, tend to baptize early, as in like as early as 10 years old, and that baptism may be perceived as invalid in other congregations. This is, yeah, this is a hard one. This is a good one, right? And it, what's interesting to me is that this is a conversation that, again, is, it's part of our DNA, right? This is a conversation that's been happening uh, throughout the restoration movement, the Stone Campbell restoration movement, in terms of what, what makes a baptism valid, not just age, but kind of implicit in that age question is, what do you have to know, right, right for a baptism to, to work, in a sense? Um, and, and the answer is, I would say, not explicit in the text, right? The answer is that you, you have to kind of figure out what it is that you understand to be happening at the point of baptism, and that you understand is happening in, in the heart of the person being baptized to, to make baptism what it is. I'll give my kind of brief answer to this, but, but let's, let's kind of recognize that this is, we could have an entire session on, on just this question, right, and exploring the contours of what this would be. My understanding is baptism is the moment when one makes a commitment to being, to recognizing Jesus as Lord. And, and that commitment does not necessarily involve understanding everything that that commitment will later entail, right? In other words, there's, there's so much that I discovered after having committed myself to Jesus uh, about the implications of what that meant in terms of what demands it would make on my life and what, you know, areas that I already hadn't, um, you know, fully kind of appreciated at the time that I made that commitment, things that I would need to give up later that I hadn't given up at that point, for instance, or other, other kind of sacrifices that would come along with declaring Jesus as Lord. But am I confident that I had made that commitment? Yes. And, and so I don't know that one could ever put a particular age on when one can make a commitment, right? And I don't know even that one, like it would be too much to say that you have to understand everything that's ever going to, you know, that that's going to entail when you make that decision. What matters is the commitment itself, right? What matters is understanding that you have declared that Jesus is Lord and that that changes how you live from that point forward. And that even if you don't understand fully the implications of all of the ways that your life will change, you've, you've made that commitment. 
Doug, what would you add or, or even how would you disagree with that if you, if you would disagree? I, I don't want to disagree with you, but it reminds me of a time we were having this discussion and this was in the mid 80s. And the provisional answer was that um, several of the older brothers and sisters thought, if you haven't had experience of sexual sin, then you're probably not at the age of accountability yet. Now, that's interesting, interesting perspective. Of course, now I'm older, you're older, Nick. Um, how about if you've not experienced the temptations of materialism and consumerism, you're not old enough, old enough to be baptized. You have to have fallen in the area. You have to have shown that you've fallen for the myth. <laughs> it just seems kind of arbitrary. We want to nail it down. But just because we can't say at what age, what is the exact age doesn't mean that there isn't a point at which you become ready. So I don't let people pin me down on, a, on an exact time, but clearly from sometime from being a baby and being an adult, there's a time when in God's eyes, we're ready to be baptized. And that's, that's about all I say. Well, and, I, and I'll just add too, there's, there's this funny kind of crisis, I think, that happened in the International Churches of Christ in particular, because as a fairly new movement, it was really easy when somebody came from outside to inside to point to a point and say, look, here is the moment where you converted, right? Here's the moment where something different happened to you. You were raised in this. We taught you this, and therefore you have a, a really easy you know, moment to point to. Then when those same people began to raise their children within the church, right, they experienced this thing that honestly the Church of Christ had been dealing with for, you know, for generations before, which is what does it mean for somebody who's raised in a Christian household in a Christian home to convert, right? What does it mean for them to suddenly become a believer if they've been taught about Jesus all their life? Which, which created something of a crisis moment, I remember, in, in the ICOC, because they had to redefine in some ways what it meant to, to, to make a commitment from nothing when you, didn't, when you weren't coming from nothing, you were coming from something. And that became a conversation that, that I had in college with, with people that I was meeting who had been raised in a Christian household, right, who had been raised as part of a Stone Campbell movement church and family, right, who had kind of all their lives been believers, had been baptized at a certain point. But my definition was, well, you need to point what, you know, what specific sins did you repent of that you had been doing that you stopped doing? Right, which made sense from, from my worldview because that's how I experienced it and that's how I was taught it, but was very different for somebody who had grown up and, ra and was raised in it. And the ICOC has now, because it's been around for several, you know, for a few generations, has had to kind of reconcile with that aspect of this question that they hadn't had to deal with before. So I imagine that's part of what's at the root of, of what Javier has, has raised. I may, be, for us. I may be trying Javier's patience. Give me 20 seconds. At the day of Pentecost, Surely there were some people in the crowd who were right with God through the old covenant. As Jews, they were actually saved. But they too were told to repent and be baptized for forgiveness of sins, and they would receive the Spirit. It's just something to think about. Not to think that all 3,000 of those men who were baptized were lost, although they were all baptized for forgiveness of sins. Okay. It's a fascinating question. Yeah, that is provocative. All right. Uh, the next question is a bit of a personal one for Douglas. Oh, the person perceives that you are, or that you may be still very hurt because of what you lived through in the early days of the ICOC. And the question is if you have received any counseling support to help you overcome it. And if you can um, share what others 
could do to um, to get that support. Well, there, there's definitely no shortage of Christian counselors around. I think it's important to be able to talk to people. I, actually, I had this discussion earlier today. We were walking with, with some friends um, and uh, we were talking about the possibility, you know, being of hurts in the past. I'm not aware of them, but I, I wouldn't be surprised given what those of us have been around for decades, what we went through. Uh, but I think as long as we're, we're open and we we're able to talk about these things in a safe place, uh, we could be healthy, but it's not good just to suppress it. And I was joking with my friend. I said, oh, I try to push it down and not think about it. And I was just joking. No, it's important to be able to talk to people. And uh, I'm not at all a, a, against counseling, uh, Christian counseling, but I'm not aware of a, I'm not aware of a particular problem in my case, though perhaps I come across that way. You know, but Javier, I will, I'll, um, I'll follow up on that, although the question wasn't directed to me, right, to say this, that when, um, when Doug and I did this session two years ago, um, I did have a number of people reach out to me, and Doug may have had, um, similarly, uh, a number of people respond to, um, both to thank us for the session and, and what we provided, also, uh, also to suggest that, that there are still, um, there's still people being hurt in certain pockets of the International Churches of Christ, that there are still areas where um, some of the, the leftover um, unhealthy leadership practices are still occurring, right? And that isn't to say that that doesn't also occur in Churches of Christ too, right? All churches have baggage, and that's part of what it is to be human. Um, but, but it's probably worth just, just pointing that out, right? That, that there, there, are, there, are, there are ways that people have been hurt by by both sides, but but um, but in within the International Church of Christ also, and and that we need to acknowledge that hurt that has occurred, acknowledge that it's that it's not easy to get over those pains, that sometimes those pains are long lasting and leave emotional scars, and that uh, and that seeking counseling, seeking professional help, these are good solutions, right? These are important ways of working and processing those pains. Uh, and, and, and I want to make sure that we acknowledge that, that pain has occurred here, right? And that the pain is real and that we need to process and work through that in order to become healthier people. Amen. Okay. So I have a quick question that maybe I can answer. And I think it's because some participants, uh, we have 135 participants now, which is great. Uh, and we started with 69, I think, so maybe some uh, came late. The question is, uh, where can we watch the Rift and Repair talk? Is it on the Common Grounds page? Uh, the answer is yes, uh, but primarily on the YouTube channel. The Common Grounds YouTube channel has the original uh, four-part video, uh, videos of the Rift and Repair presentation that Nick and Doug gave. Yes, and I think even somewhere earlier in the chat, uh, somebody had posted a, a link to the, the version of it that's hosted by Doug. And I'll just, I'll note what I said earlier that the Pepperdine um, Bible Lectures, which is also called Harbor, uh, also has it hosted on their website. And after this, we can add a, an extra link on the Common Grounds Facebook page. So if you are not part of the Facebook group that is Common Grounds, then you might go ahead and look for that. And we'll, and we'll add that link there again at the top somewhere to remind people to go uh, where they can find that. Javier, do you have a, like a final wrap-up question that would be um, good or, or that could be it if we wanted it to be? Okay, I have a question. Um, 
this is based on a comment that you made, Nick, but maybe both of you can address it. Nick, you said earlier that the ICOC or at the time the Crossroad in Boston movement was like a renewal movement that the churches of Christ did not really welcome. What about in recent times, the, the uh, international Christian churches new movement of Kip McKeon, is that a renewal movement? that the ICOC just hasn't welcomed? <clears throat> That's a fascinating way of, yeah, of bringing that question in. Here's what I will say, right? Um, far be it from me to characterize um, a particular group uh, that I'm not deeply familiar with, right? So I have some, some vague understandings of what the international Christian churches, this new um, kind of offshoot group that Kip McKean is doing uh, is, is actively engaged in. Uh, and here's what I would say, that in a very ironic way, what the churches of Christ felt from the international churches of Christ, or I could say it this way, maybe it's better, what the ICOC kind of did to the churches of Christ, from my perspective, is what the international Christian churches, what Kip McKean's group is doing is doing to the churches of Christ, or sorry, to the international churches of Christ. Hopefully you understood what I meant there. In other words, in, other words, um, in let's say the mid eighties, right? Or the, you know, uh, into the early nineties, right? The ICUC was saying to the church of Christ, if you want to be part of God's true church, then you need to leave your church and come be part of our church. We are the one true church. We are the remnant in other words, right? We are the ones who are pursuing the, the true kingdom of God. And the Church of Christ was deeply hurt by that. And the Church of Christ would say, why are you saying we're, we're doing things too? We're living out our understanding of what it means to be believers in Jesus. And, and so how can you say those things? And, and the ICOC said that's the way things are. And then fast forward 20 years, right? And the ICOC has this kind of reckoning moment due to the Crete letter. The, um, the Kit McKean's kind of group has in uh, early on, you know, some kind of connections, but then eventually becomes a separate breakaway group from the core of the International Churches of Christ, and then does the very same thing, makes the same kind of call out moves of, if you want to be a true follower, if you want to be part of the remnant, you need to leave hmm. and come be part of us. And, and it's what we've kind of been saying already today, that here is this cycle, right? It's part of our DNA, and we're seeing it lived out in yet another instance. Now, whether it's um, whether the uh, you know, your question is, is it a renewal movement? I don't I don't think that I would characterize it as such. All right. I think I would characterize it as uh, as a group that is continuing some of the less healthy practices that made um, the ICOC end up breaking away from the church. Yeah, I might so let say me, let me turn it over to Doug for that. Raising sectarianism to an even higher level. The, the mistake is underestimating, not appreciating that there are many good things happening in the international churches right now. Yes, there are lots of problems and, and we're very aware, but there are lots of good things happening. And just to dismiss an entire, uh, you know, an entire movement uh, because they don't happen to agree with you or don't, don't have your same set of strengths and weaknesses, that's just, that's just wrong. I think that's what's happening. It's a failure to, to be appreciative and to see the good. And um, it's unnecessarily polarizing. All right. We have reached one o'clock. 
thank you so much. So as Javier mentioned, we had up to 135 participants here, right? So uh, this has been um, deeply gratifying to see how many are interested in this. If you're watching the recording later, then thank you for watching this recording also. Uh, thank you everyone for your participation. We're gonna go ahead and stop the recording and then we'll stick around if anybody wants to, to say anything or chat or anything like that, I suppose we'll have some moments for that. But thank you all, Douglas, uh, a deep and heartfelt thanks to you for participating in this thanks, coming event. And then I would be risk not to mention a couple things. So before you leave, let me say these two or three things here as well. Um, we have a Common Grounds podcast that we uh, have just begun that I want to advertise to all of you. You can find links to that on the Common Grounds website or the Common Grounds Facebook group. Um, and, and so in that podcast, we are interviewing different people about their heart for unity, about their work towards uh, unifying different streams. It includes Church of Christ, International Church of Christ, Christian Church, uh, and beyond. And so I wanna um, bring that to your attention. Also, Javier is deeply involved in our Common Grounds YouTube channel, which we're beginning to build up. And Javier in particular is gonna begin a series soon that he's calling I Heart Unity, where he's gonna be inviting people to, uh, to record their own kind of very short segments about what they are working towards or loving about unity as well. So I wanna make sure that you are on the lookout for that. Um, and then of course, if you haven't already joined the Facebook group or haven't found our website, or if you're interested in starting your own local chapter for Common Grounds and beginning to meet other people who are from, you know, at least the Stone Campbell movement uh, streams of churches, or maybe even beyond that, right? Uh, and, and beginning some talks with believers who are near you, then we very much welcome you to, to find our website and figure out what it would take to get that started in your own city. Uh, all right, I will sign us off here. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Javier, to Doug, and to all of you for participating in this. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Nick. Hey, thank you. Goodbye, everyone. Well, it is our hope and prayer that this Rift and Repair Revisited, um, part two, we might say, uh, on the Common Grounds Unity podcast has blessed you and, and made you more informed and given you things to think about. Uh, our appreciation to Nick Zola and Douglas Jacoby for presenting it. Um, we've got Nick back to close us out, uh, Nick Zola. And Nick, I, you know, as we're kind of bringing this to a close, uh, do you have any closing comments? Could, could you talk a little bit to your, your hope for the future, some of the growth and good things that you're seeing, and, and maybe even address um, what came out of the question, some of the pain and hurt and healing that needs to happen? Sure, Kevin. Uh, and thanks for this opportunity again to be back on the Common Grounds Unity podcast. It's a, it's a privilege to be here. And again, I love what you all have been doing with the podcast since it began. Yes, Doug and I um, put this session together, right, with the idea of revisiting this conversation that had happened now close to two years ago, thinking about how the ICOC emerged from uh, the Churches of Christ, or the ways that communication broke down, uh, even as you just mentioned, right, some of the hurt that was caused in um, the ways that the ICOC approached uh, its um, evangelism and way of, uh, of communicating the gospel to people. 
And, and then now in these recent times, uh, ways in which some of those um, communications have been rebuilt again, uh, ways in which uh, apologies have occurred, and even in, in many ways what this podcast is a testament to, right, that, that we're having um, discussions, that we are repairing broken bonds, that, that we're trying to reestablish this, this common connection that we have in Christ that goes beyond the ways that, that we have broken things in the past. So I have great hope for the future. The very fact that, that here we are talking about this, the fact that we had you know, over 100 people join that first Zoom session when it was live, and we've had um, many more listen to it uh, in the YouTube version that we, that we broadcast, and now I hope many more listening to it now through this podcast. Uh, it gives me great hope for the future that, that we are heading towards a new direction, right? A direction where uh, we can see that we have more in common than we have that divides us. And that even though there are things that make us different and we're not trying to erase those things, that there are distinctions between the international churches of Christ and the churches of Christ in terms of what they focus in, what their emphasis is, the, the kind of the flavor of their Christianity, that, that those things aren't enough to say that we aren't the same team, that we aren't on uh, part of the same family, that there isn't this, this larger um, family that we can join together with and worship our God together with. So that's, that's my hope for the future. That's the growth that I see moving forward. Um, at the same time, and you, and you mentioned this too, and this does come up in, in the Q&A, I want to acknowledge that uh, a lot of hurt has been caused over the past 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and, and some of that runs very deep, right? Some of that runs in, in the way that people from the ICOC treated people in the Churches of Christ. Some of that runs uh, from the way that people in the Churches of Christ treated people in the ICOC. Uh, and much of that runs in, in the particular way that people in the ICOC approached their Christianity and presented it to others. And, uh, and so there is another narrative, right, that runs alongside this uh, that I think it's important for us to acknowledge and, uh, and to make sure that we, that we don't pretend wasn't part of this history, that, um, that people have been hurt by the ICOC, and some people are still very hurt from the ICOC. And, uh, and I think that understanding that part of the story, acknowledging that part of the story, and, and being willing to work through the repairing of that hurt, in addition to the repairing of the, of the unity that was broken, but the repairing of the psychological damage that has been caused, is just as important. And, and that's also why we're telling this story. Uh, that's, that's why, for instance, Doug and I wanted to have a session like this again, uh, in order to be able to acknowledge some of that. And, and to make it, here's, um, again, this will tie the two ideas together. You're asking, asking about hope and asking about um, some of this hurt that was caused. There's a funny way that I see it, which is that when we tell this story and when we tell what the ICOC came from and the, the bigger Stone Campbell restoration movement that it's part of, right? And even the history of the Stone Campbell restoration movement, the, the, um, emphases that have occurred uh, and the way that the ICOC picked up certain parts of those emphases and really ran with them, that it's a microcosm uh, in many ways uh, to, the, uh, to the larger Stone Campbell movement. 
in doing that, my, my deep hope is that especially those in the international churches of Christ who are less familiar with this history and less familiar with this part of the story will come to an appreciation of this larger thing that they're part of. And when you appreciate that something that you're part of something much bigger than what you understood uh, that it was, it expands your, your, your knowledge of kind of what is possible and what is acceptable and, uh, and, and the kind of inherent diversity of your family. In other words, you realize there are other ways to do things than just the way that, that you do them. And, and you come to embrace and even love that otherness, that difference. And, and in doing that, you begin to let go of some of the, um, the pride that comes with holding on to your way of doing something. And when you let go of that pride, then you can begin to repair some of the damage that you, that you have been part of or that you have witnessed or that you have experienced right, in, uh, in doing things a certain way and not realizing that that wasn't the only way to do it. In other words, that there's a whole family out here um, that, that you can embrace and be part of and, uh, and recognize that, that all of us together are, are working towards the gospel. Uh, and so, so that's, that's the hope that I see. Uh, in having this conversation and in acknowledging the hurt and and the chance that we have now to begin to work towards repairing that hurt. Well, Nick, I'll tell you, I, I really appreciate the spirit in which you and Douglas presented this material. I, I heard it uh, in its first form back at Pepperdine and then the way you did it here in the Zoom presentation. Um, it's just been very informational. Uh, I, I remember it kind of takes me back to some of that history and getting to have conversations like this with you. I love your spirit, the humility that you convey, the, the longing that you have to see uh, unity uh, and yet not conformity. Um, I just think so much blessing can come from all of this. And I, I think I speak for all our listeners, we're so appreciative of, of your contribution to all of these dialogues, the, the conversation that was had on this Zoom meeting and then the conversation in the Q&A, um, I think is reflective of uh, the way conversations can be held in just very Christ-like ways to talk about both differences and things that we share in common and just cross-pollinate and benefit from one another. So appreciate your spirit. Um, and appreciate your being with us. It's been my pleasure, Kevin. Uh, I'm really grateful to be back again. And thanks for, again, all that you and Megan are doing here. I think this is, this is advancing the cause. This is advancing the cause of Christ, the cause of unity. Uh, and it's, again, an honor to be part of it. Well, we, we sure hope that it is. And folks, we hope that uh, these two sessions can lead to conversations you're having at a personal level with brothers and sisters across the streams of the uh, Stone Campbell movement. That's our whole goal. We believe that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So let us encourage you to get to know some brothers and sisters in your community across town or, or maybe nearby and start building those bridges and having those discussions. We'll be back next week with another podcast on Common Ground Unity. We look forward to your joining with us. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast with Megan and Kevin. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. There are plenty of resources and you can subscribe to the weekly email articles. 
join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. We've also provided a link in the show notes for comments. You can ask questions or suggest topics and guests. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that too through the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.